Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl. More for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. We are joined today by Esther McCarthy, Leslie Williams and Tara Walsh. Good afternoon to you all. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi. Hi. There you are. That's all good. Yes. Uh, so the, the uh, certainly the two movies that you're doing uh, today, Esther, uh, one of them is hotly anticipated in, in, in my house and it's not Parallel Mothers. <laughs> is she a sing? Is, is she a sing um, fan? She is. Oh, yeah. She, she went. She saw it the first time, and then was like, "Eh." But then, in just only in the last kind of six weeks, she like plays it every day, and she's bounding around the sitting room singing songs off it. Well, you can tell her that it's a Godfather Part Two situation because oh, this wow. sequel. And she'll totally get that better. reference as well. <laughs> <laughs> this sequel is better than the original. I was um, a bit, I didn't quite get the original. I thought, oh, it's a karaoke film. Okay. Um, mm. But this one actually has a bit of a narrative arc to it. <laughs> you can tell her that as well. And uh, it's kind of sweet. And it's got, of all people, got Bono as a reclusive rock star who is grieving <laughs> the death of his wife and has lost his voice and can't sing anymore. Right. So but he, he, to, is he an animal of some sort? Aren't they all he animals is, in this? He's, he is indeed. He's a lion. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, so Bono wanted to be a lion. <laughs> they probably originally it. cast him as a you know a small walrus or something. They no, or Yeah, yeah. But um, so that's quite sweet actually. And you know what? It's funny. I I was talking to Garth Jennings, who's uh, the director and writer of the same movies. He's a real character actually, and and has a really colourful um, history in in filmmaking. We'll talk about him later. But he was saying like he kind of went chanced his arm going Bono would be great but like he's probably not going to do it and he got a phone call like within an hour apparently Bono was the biggest fan ever of the uh, first film and was very excited at the prospect of voicing a character in the second one even though it had no narrative arc Bono still liked it Mm. I think what he said to him was um, and it is true the film I think it goes like from Frank Sinatra to kind of uh, Taylor Swift you know the first film and and he, he said to him it felt like it was made by people who really loved music is what he said to yeah, me in the first okay. phone call. Yeah, yeah, because there's a Stevie Wonder song uh, in it, and I actually played the Stevie Wonder song, and uh, it's really frustrating to be in an argument with a six-year-old who's trying to convince you that that isn't the original version of the song, <laughs> that the original version is actually from some singing elephant or whatever uh, on the movies you just looked at. And uh, Parallel Mothers. Yeah, this is a really great. Um, Pedro Almodovar, um, the great Spanish director who just seems to be getting better as he gets older um, and, and with Penelope Cruz. Um, this is in Spanish language, of course, uh, with subtitles. But sure, we're all used to that now with the streamers, aren't we? Mm. Um, so Penelope Cruz, like she's great in English, but she is terrific in Spanish. Sean, there's just something about her. She's a muse of his, of course. She's worked in so many of his films. And it's um, it's one about 45 minutes into this, I gasped in surprise at um, a twist and I'm going to let our listeners have that same experience. So I'm going to be really careful in how I talk about the plotting of this one. Right. Um, okay. But it's about two women whose paths cross in a maternity ward um, and, and befriend each other um, and, and the impact that has on their lives, I guess. Right, okay. Absolutely but, fantastic. Oh yeah, because I did see a report on the and it's about... It's about that, but it's about something quite uh, a very touchy subject in Spain to this day. Absolutely. Um, It's bookended by two scenes involving family members looking for um, people who are 
buried in mass graves during the Spanish Civil War. And to this day, mm. I think there's a card at the very end of the film when you finish wiping the tears from your eyes um, that uh, to this day, there remains about 100,000 people disappeared and uh, unaware of their whereabouts in, um, in in Spain. Yeah. Yeah. How old is Penelope Cruz now? And I'm not being a sexist pig. It's just like she seems to have stalled around 32. (laughs) So annoying. I was looking for wrinkles like there are none. I think she's definitely in her 40s. I think probably early 40s. I'm not sure. Yes, that's the that, that's my point. It's, you're not sure, but she seems to have been around for a hell of a long time. But you know, it's just unfair. Like to, yeah, you look like Penelope Cruz. You, you, at least you're supposed to kind of yeah. get withered looking. You yeah, know? exactly. Uh, anyway, Leslie, uh, uh, German wines yes, we're looking at well, today, uh, and you Germanic know what? Style. How often? Oh, right? How often? Like. I don't know if I've ever drunk a German red. To oh, be there's, there's loads of it. Well, there's yeah. loads of it. It's, I mean, yeah, both Germany and Austria, but wine from Germany, wine from Austria. Um, uh, increasingly, we're starting to see German reds coming in because um, they make Pinot Noir and they make really good Pinot Noir. Arguably, the second best place to buy Pinot Noir in the world after Burgundy. Um, mm. There's arguments we made from elsewhere, but um, in terms of value for the quality you're getting, uh, German Pinot Noir is amazing. And then Austria, again, we tend to think of Gruner Veltliner and bits of Riesling, so white grapes but they have a quite healthy red wine growing sections um, so Blauer's Weigelt is what we're drinking today called Turk um, the name of the producer from David Wheeler and the Mines um, and Blauer's Weigelt is a, is a really interesting grape it is vaguely related to Pinot Noir but it's bright red fruits it's kind of spring it was warm today I thought sort of bright fresh crispy wines they tend to be lower in alcohol as well they tend to be 13, 12, 13% because mm-hmm. a lot of people are fed up with drinking 15, 16% ones like, which is quite common now from Northern Italy and from southern yeah. southern France. So yeah, no, there's there's a few, and look, I'll I'll, I'll go into that in more detail. Right. So. Okay. Uh, the uh, hashtag is uh, hedonist movies, uh, the pukes of hazard, and uh, how to lose a guy in ten Downing Street. Uh, I particularly like that one. <laughs> uh, and right. So uh, Tara, tell us first about uh, Murderville. What's that? Yeah, this is really interesting. So during the week, Netflix released the trailer for this brand new series they're releasing called Murderville. Um, executive produced and starring Will Arnett. You might remember him from Arrested Development. Mm. He's in a couple of things anyway, but he basically plays a detective called Terry Seattle and he teams up, up with these clueless celebrity guest stars uh, to solve murder mysteries. And pretty much on behalf of all the celebrities and stuff there, it's completely improvised for them. Obviously, he plays a character called Terry Seattle, so he'll take them through these murder mysteries and it looks quite funny. And actually, it's an American remake of the BBC's Murder in Successville. So that was that starred British actor and comedian Tom Davis, and he had a load of celebrities on from the UK, and they did the same idea. But now they're bringing it to oh, Netflix. Never heard of that. Yeah, neither yeah. had I. That's that's why I thought it was really strange. So I feel like the American remake will be bigger, just because you've got bigger names. And and so is it kind of like a, he has a guest star, there's a dead body, there's clues, and yeah. the poor hapless guest star has no <laughs> idea what's going on. Not a clue. So that's exactly what it's like. And they have people like Shits Creeks, Annie Murphy. They've got Sharon Stone coming. In Conan O'Brien, and if you watch the trailer, like he just throws, he, it's it's completely improvised, and he'll throw random things at them, and that you can see them break character and just start laughing in the middle of the thing. So it looks really good. It looks really really okay, funny. All right, and, and given it's kind of ad libbed. Yeah. Now, uh, and Peter Dinklage is given out about a remake of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but maybe not necessarily for the reason you might think. Well, or is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of is. So he is obviously in Game of Thrones. You know Peter Dinklage. He's he actually. You know what? That's kind of unfair on him because it's like only a Game of Thrones. You realise 
He's been in everything for years. That's so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's been in so many movies. Was he actually in... Yeah, he was in a couple of movies anyway, but the main one I think everyone knows him from at the moment is Game of Thrones. Yeah, he was in Elf. He was in Elf. I was going to say yeah. that, but I wasn't sure. But basically, on the WTF with Mark Maron podcast, he was talking about, you know, all these remakes that they're doing. And he said, no offence to anyone, but I was a little taken aback that Disney were so proud to cast a Latina actress in this new Snow White remake. And they're still telling the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mm. So he's upset at, obviously, that they're, they're remake. He put it, actually, he wrote it like this. So he said, you're progressive in one way, but then you're still making that backward story about Seven Dwarfs living in a cave together. Right, okay. And so he is he essentially saying it shouldn't be Seven Dwarfs? He's basically saying that uh, the dwarves situation, he just doesn't think that that should be... Uh, I think it's painting dwarfism in a negative light. Okay. All so, right. and then Disney released a statement afterwards, and they said to avoid reinforcing stereotypes from the original animated film, we are taking a different approach with these seven characters, and have been consulting with members of the dwarfism community. Yeah, because you could kind of argue it's it's depending on how it's de- depicted, and like you know, he he's a small person himself who's yeah. also a phenomenal actor, and mm-hmm. it's a showcase for more people to do that. Yeah, that's You'd true. Have yeah. Uh, um, I don't know. Um, okay, uh, she's forty-seven. Uh, apparently, <laughs> just in case you were wondering. Uh, the uh, the ending of Chinatown uh, would not happen now. Would have been the typical Hollywood ending, is, which is why Chinatown is still remembered as one of the best movies of the 70s, uh, says Liam. Uh, and Neil says on the subject of Sing 2, I listened to the clip of Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For from Sing 2. It's possibly worse than the Mary J. Blige version of One. Why does Bono destroy his own songs with such relish? Well, he wasn't on podcast the other day saying that... He cringes uh, uh, when he hears himself sing. So maybe that's why. Paula says, I really want to be like uh, Pedro Almorvadar myself because then I could appear cool to my mates, but I just don't get what the hype is about. His films are dull and a bit up their own arse. It can't be just me who thinks that, uh, uh, says Paula. <laughs> I, I have box sets of Pedro Almorvadar movies. That up. He like does, I, I think he's amazing. Yeah. There you go. Well, Leslie. I think he's amazing. Yeah, Leslie thinks he's amazing. Uh, right, so what wine are we going to talk about first, Okay, Leslie? so the first one is Blarer's Vigal. Just get your glass. Hold on. Okay, uh, handing it over to me. Yes, thank you very much. Tower's In these nice kind of... Uh, wine, yes, these are Riedel glasses. Yeah, yeah, you may yeah, have yeah, a stem on them. Just they're easy to carry in on the bus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so this is technically a Syrah glass you're drinking from, actually. Um, and they're, you know, that they're, they're, they're tumblers, obviously, but they're mm. only a tenner each or so, you know, not, it, which is affordable. Yeah, but they're like, it's like a wine glass just without the yeah, stem. Yeah, basically, yeah. But yeah. You, know, yeah like, you know that old thing, you're supposed to hold, uh, hold it by yeah. the stem because it warms it up or all. Is that just nonsense? No, well, I mean, it would in theory, but look, it's... Still it's it's a bit more casual. I use these all the time. I mean, literally all the time. I mean, but if I'm drinking good stuff, I do tend to use stem glasses, and I try to remember to hold up by the stem. And yeah, yeah, I mean, it might warm a bit, but it's it's minor. I mean, yeah, it's like we need to relax about wine. You know, if you want to, if your if your wine is too warm and you want it colder, throw an ice cube in for a minute or two, and then take it out so it doesn't get diluted. But that's fine. Like, relax, just yeah. drink it. You know. Okay. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so Turk T U R K T U Umlaut Turk. So Turk, possibly. Um. Uh, long established 
Irish producer in um, in Austria, Nader Österreich, sort of lower Austria, so west of Vienna, basically, um, which is where a lot of the, a lot of the wine is from mm-hmm. there. Um, Blarus Weigelt is uh, is a native grape, effectively. I mean, it was created in 1922, but from two other local grapes, so Blaufrankisch, which is native to Austria, and Saint Laurent. I think were the two grapes that were crossed. Um, Saint Laurent is half one of the parents of Saint Laurent is Pinot Noir, so there is a Pinot Noir connection, and it has that same bright red juicy fruit character, which is what I like. Um, it's thirteen uh, percent, so a lot of people are complaining about the fact that everything mm-hmm. is fourteen, fifteen percent. I mean, a bottle of Amarone is sixteen and a half sometimes, you know. Um, so I mean, it, it is just for this time of year. It's all bright, juicy, crunchy. That's a nice word. Uh, crunchy is that kind of, literally, kind of almost as if you're crunching through the fruit on your palate, you know. So did you have a taste there? What do you think, Sarah? Uh, yeah, it's lovely. It's uh, um, mm. so just bright, juicy black cherries, changes to blackberries oh, I like as that. it goes down. Yeah, but really kind of just fruity. And you will get Austrian reds in any decent wine shop. Uh, this specifically is from Wheelahan's Wines out on... The uh, in Lachlanstown, the old Silver Tassie pub. Um, if you can't get out there, any decent off license uh, of quality. Supermarkets less so, but any off license should have, um, if not Blauer, not sorry, I'm, I'm calling it Blauer's Weigelt. It's more often called Zweigelt. They just they dropped the Blauer bit. Um, um, or you'll see, as I said, Blau Frankish, um, and sometimes you'll see Saint Laurent, and sometimes you'll see actually Pinot Noir as well. I mean, um, so cooler regions like this, and they're going to get better and better as a result of uh, the global warming that's happening. Um, so don't dismiss them. And um, and you know, Austria is one of the highest quality producers. They don't make any five ninety nine, nine ninety nine wines. Um, they you know the entry level for Austria yeah, is about right. fifty. Nobody does now. But they kind of their entry level has always been sort of fifteen, sixteen euros. That's because yeah, yeah, yeah. they just decided after the so-called scandal, which wasn't a scandal at all. I mean, it was just mm. them putting their hands up and saying, "Oh, we made a mistake," you know. Um, just to clarify, anyone who still remembers that, this there was is the a, antifreeze yeah. thing. Yeah, but I mean, what it wasn't was it was an ingredient that is sometimes used in antifreeze. Um, but you could have drunk ten liters of the stuff, and you'd have been absolutely fine from the antifreeze. You would, have, yeah. you would have needed to drink that much to have any effect on you, and you'd be dead from the wine any before that. Nobody remembers that a year later, the um, there was an Italian scandal in the north of Italy, uh, which killed several people and put hundreds in hospital because they were using effectively methyl spirits in the wine. You know? Oh my God. And obviously they've cleaned their act up a lot since but nobody why, remembers why, that. Why did, they, why did they do that? Well, nobody who drank a wine remembers well, that probably. Trying, what, what did, they, why did they, they do that? They were trying to increase the alcohol strength and just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh that wasn't God. quite... But it was a sort of an industrial alcohol and that, but the Austrian one was what they were doing was trying to make the wine taste more rounded. There was a huge demand in the UK for um, Liebfraumilch and sort of sweet German sicky wines and so they were just trying to take cheap dry wine and sort of round them out a bit. There's a very closely related chemical thing uh, to this stuff that was used. Um, it used, it's found in vodkas and everything to give vodkas that texture of it otherwise it would be very thin and so on. So there is a, so some of the people were using that food one and then I think some were using the one, the slightly dodgy chemical variant of it that is. But honestly it, it, it was completely blown out of proportion. I mean it was, you, you couldn't have died from drinking the amount, you know, because it was tiny, tiny quantities used in the... Uh, but, know, it, so. uh, but it's but it funny, I still remember industry. it did it destroy yeah, it. It completely destroyed the industry for 15 years. And it's one of the reasons wow. some of them started growing red grapes. <laughs> 
wouldn't that be associated with it? I'm not certain about that, but that's my understanding. Yeah. Um, is that that's one of the reasons why some of them moved to Red Grace because Red yeah. Grace wasn't as common in, at that time. Yeah. You know, Karen and Sandy Mo texted to say, "Is the antifreeze coming oh, yeah, through?" Yeah, yeah. yeah no. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah, and I feel, really feel for them. I mean, they're a small country; they're not much bigger than Ireland population-wise, mm. and um, the the quality is outstanding. I mean, it's really yeah. rare to encounter yeah. a bad wine. You that's know? lovely. Yeah. Somebody wants to know where can I get the German sect S E K T. Oh yeah, you used to see a lot of that around. I haven't seen it in ages. I mean, basically Prosecco has just destroyed all cheap fizz uh, alcohol market. It's, it, everyone, if you want inexpensive fizz, people are just going to buy Prosecco. Yeah, uh, because yeah. Prosecco can get in under the tax level for still wine. We mm. double tax fizz. Uh, we literally double the tax. So a bottle of fizz is seven eighty or something before tax. Before anybody's made any money, the government takes about seven eighty if you include VAT. Um, Prosecco, that's Frizzante, counts as still wine. So that's only three fifty or three forty or something. Um, so yeah, I, there might be a couple around. I can't think of any no owner producer over there, and even that one's not available as far as I know. There might be some, but it's, I mean, Cava would be a better bet anyway. Some good the mm. Cava's got a lot better in recent years. Um, Cremant de Loire, things like that. Yeah, sect. I mean. Yeah, no, I really, I'd be very curious if anyone can, can, can think of one anywhere that they've seen. I haven't seen yeah. one in, in 10 years. Okay. And so how, uh, how much oh, is, sorry, it, is this, this Turk? This uh, is uh, normally about 20, but it's 17 at the minute okay, on sale. Right. In, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you ask your wine expert what red wine is smooth and full? I drink Malbec usually, but sometimes I get a, a stingy one around 10 or 15 uh, euro budget. <laughs> uh, well, if you like Malbec, um, I mean, there's any amount of Malbec. So, I mean, Malbec is a it, Malbec grape is related to Cabernet and Merlot, and those is a somewhat similar. So, um, but you're not going to get the same effect from those. I would think he would he should just go to the southern France Languedoc area um, and drink Syrah Grenache style stuff. It's not related to it anyway. But I just think if he likes that full roundness, that's a place to go. I think southern Italy. Think of warm places, basically. Uh, now, what? Malbec has is that sort of lovely bright juicy richness mixed with that freshness because the grapes are grown at altitude um, so to mimic that I mean I, I, people just don't I, well, people are devils in Ireland for sticking on things I don't know much about wine but I know what I like and mm. literally they only know the one, the one thing that they like and you know explore there is a multitude of wines out there in terms of rich wines I, Languedoc Roussillon um, I would go I mean, Cahors from is is the other is the French region that Malbec comes from, and that's made of Malbec, so that's a possibility. But I would think you'd have more fun going to Ribera del Duero in northern Spain. I think Jean had one on last week. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I mean, I think I mean there's very few thin wines these days. You know, yeah. Um, I mean, um, I mean, Irish people have gone from loving Chardonnay to Pap, and that being their obsession to obsessing over Malbec uh, that's the that's li- literally where we've, we've moved to you know so uh, um, <laughs> and uh, so that same southern that's one of the reasons why I've suggested the southern Rhone in Languedoc yeah. because that you get that same round creamy richness and uh, um, and that freshness that that, that if it, not mostly you do anyway so. yeah even in even in a flurry which was, yeah, used yeah. to be quite a Sort of te- you Much know, improved. not tepid wine, but you know, yeah. not, it wasn't exactly yeah, so, full on. And there's loads of really good Beaujolais being made. Which yeah, is Fleury being a village in Beaujolais. Um, so yeah, Beaujolais Village and Beaujolais and, and mm. Gamay is the, is the grapes if you see Gamay. Although some tend to be quite kind of uh, raspberry juice, so you need to look. You know, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Owen says Peter Dinklage was, was in one of the best movies of the 2000s, The Station Agent. Uh, that. Indeed, that is true. So, Esther, what movie would you like to do first? Um, I love The Station Agent. I was hoping someone would mention it. It's <laughs> such a wonderful film. Um, 
Let's do, on behalf of six-year-olds everywhere, Sean, let's do Sing 2 first. Okay, Sing 2 coming up after this. Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl, more for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. And you asked me to sing for you. I... I did? Yeah, and so I was like... This girl is on fire! This girl is on fire! She's walking on fire! This girl is on fire! Well, that's a... Lovely dream you had there, Portia. Yeah. If you don't want to see a film about the dream I had last night, right, so uh, some crucial plot points in that particular clip, uh, Esther. What's the actual story? I'm intrigued about the dream now. (laughs) (laughs) Another time, maybe. Um, The storyline this time, so as you'll remember, like Buster Moon was this impresario, this local theatre owner, um, who was the run run this theatre in the first film. And it was kind of getting a bit run down and and business wasn't great so he decided to hold a singing competition in his neighbourhood to try and raise funding to keep the theatre open and it was a huge success. Um, It was also an end point of the film which made something like 300 million off a 75 million budget so there was always going to need to be another story for Mm. a sequel um, because that is a massive return for an animation film Um, and it's illumination animation actually they're a a small one of the well they're a big studio now but one of the up and coming studios they're based in in France Um, so they have come up with good storytelling this time though so what what you have is um it's kind of a heist movie in a way Uh, they're trying to sneak in past this very tough talking kind of theatre boss who's played by Bobby Cannavale uh, really distinctively and and with a plum I would say uh, and they're trying to get onto this kind of it's kind of like an animation version of, of Las Vegas the strip uh, where they want to perform the show and it's a sci-fi musical uh, which is a lovely nod I think to uh, Tick Tick Boom and, and, and the story that that tells if you haven't seen it um, but so they're kind of trying to get past auditions and they're they're kind of having none of it. They don't think the show's good enough. And at one stage, they sneak into auditions and uh, Bobby Canvas' character is a closet U2 fan, which they discover when one of the characters starts singing. I still haven't found what I'm looking for on stage. Um, it turns out he is a huge fan of, of Clay Calloway, who's Bono's character. He's this once great rock star who's turned into a recluse following the death of his wife. And I suppose seeing an opportunity, uh, Buster and the gang say, oh, we're, we're in contact with um, Clay Calloway. We'll be able to get him out of retirement and uh, to perform on this show. And they, so they say yes straight away. But like Bobby Cannavale's character is quite fearsome. You would not want to cross him. And he gives them three weeks to get um, Clay Calloway out of retirement and onto the show. He hasn't a notion of it. He he can barely leave the house, never mind perform live. And he and it's a quite an emotional core to it actually because he's you know he can't sing the songs anymore because they were all inspired by her. So that's actually quite sweet storytelling. Um, 
And they their job basically is the mission, should they choose to accept it, is to get um, out of this world, the musical performed in Redshore City uh, and, and get Clay Calloway on the stage again for the first time in years. Um, that's kind of the core of the story, really. It's two hours long. It, it builds the story well and, and doesn't overstay its welcome, I would say. Uh, the songs are great. There's a few songs in there um, from you two. And actually, Bono even wrote um, a new song for this film, which is in the closing credits called Your Song Saved My Life. Um, so it's really quite sweet, this. And it's directed and written by a guy... By the name Gareth Jennings and his background. Um, I was thinking of Damon Alburn this week and how how he might be disgusted to hear this. His background's in music videos. He did a load of blur music videos, Supergrass, REM, people like that. So okay. he was making he was making shorts at the highest level, you know. Mm. Um, so it was no coincidence when he made his first feature. He's an English guy. Uh, it was no coincidence when he when he made his first feature that it was a, a smash hit. It was called Son of Rambo. It's really good if you haven't seen it. Um, and Illumination saw that, and their bosses got in touch and said, "We're trying to develop this um, film." With uh, singing elephants and animation, basically. And I think Garth Jennings is uh, a colourful enough character. I really enjoyed talking to him this week. Um, I did an interview with him in the Irish Examiner today. But he's just one of these people who'll have a stab at anything and just, just go at it, you know, for fun. He had no history of animation. He'd never worked as an animator in his life. So that was quite an education for him. But Sing, the first Sing was a big, big hit. Uh, and, and here he is making the sequel, um... So and I think what was interesting he was when he was talking about the music videos he said you're really trying to get the same achieve the same goal here as you would with a, a supergrass video which is to have the music and the images in, in such perfect sync with each other that you can't imagine one without the other mm. and I think that's the you know so story is everything I guess is what's what's important here and um I think that's what he's trying to do here I I I wasn't too fussed on the first film to be honest with okay. you, Sean, but yeah. I quite enjoyed this one. I thought it was really sweet and kind of funny. And there's a lovely little subplot involving um, an elephant who's got a, re- a real crush on a, another elephant who is an ice cream salesman. And she's kind of a Bridget Jones of elephants, really, because she is too shy to um, say anything or flirt with him or anything like that. But she just keeps going to buy ice cream. And when you're already the size of an elephant, uh, an insatiable ice cream appetite is not great. It's not, um, yeah. So you can I say, kind I, of, I find it very relatable, shall we say. <laughs> the, uh, and now, the question everyone's wondering, is Bono any good? He is good, you know, yeah. I mean, he's he does what he's there to do, I guess. Um, the, the voice, he's kind of growly. I was wondering, is he channeling? Yeah. channeling Irish, Irish accent? Yeah, Irish accent. I okay. wondered. I wondered was he channeling um, Brendan Gleeson in that other brilliant sequel, Paddington Two, a little. He's kind of gruff. He's gr- mm. gruff of his of voice. So there's a voice performance in there, you know. Um, mm. And it's mad that mad thing as well that you can see the person in the animation. I do not know how they work that magic. It's quite amazing, but you can see some of his movements and his mannerisms into this big giant line. Basically. Was he as good as Ronan Keating in the Paw Patrol movie? <laughs> 
Oh, that's a controversial take. Yeah, that's a, well, I, it's a direct comparison. So uh, both I are animated, I, both are Irish musicians, you know. I, I think I managed, much to my nephew's um, despair, actually, uh, uh, my nephew and Yol Connor, um, I think I managed to dodge the Paul, Paul Patrol movies, um, which he has been watching for over and over for a couple of years now. So I can't... In all honesty, evaluate um, Ronan well, Keating's Well, I can tell you Ronan Keating played a, a grizzled prison inmate in that and brought a lot of nuance and pain to the role, I thought, uh, for the 30 <laughs> seconds he was on screen anyway. Uh, right, so uh, a thing too, uh, a hit from the sounds of it. Now, it's lovely. Kind of, kind of on a theme today. Uh, the Foo Fighters have a, have a, have a film. Yeah, this is, this is actually quite funny. So... So last February, they released their 10th studio album. It's called Medicine at Midnight. Uh, They moved into a California mansion to record the album. And when they moved in, a number of incidents happened that led them to believe that the place may have been haunted. Uh, They said, so Dave Grohl told Enemy, he said the guitars would be randomly detuned. Files were missing in their recording sessions. Weird open mic noises, things like this. And so they decided to make a movie. And they've called it Studio 666. And it's basically that storyline. It's them moving into this mansion to record their 10th album. You know, it's haunted. And then Dave Grohl gets possessed. And it's this big, mad horror comedy movie. We have a clip of it. This is what it sounds like. Got a couple of ideas I've been working on. I'll lay them on you. Dude, wait, 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 wait. It's called Everlong, and you wrote it about 20 years ago. How are you feeling? Everything okay? Ever since we moved into this house, my mind is flooded. We all have writer's block. This is not just a creepy rock and roll house. It allows spiritual entities to cross into our world. Sounds great. <laughs> I, I think it's hilarious. I think it's just so random. Like, where did this yeah, come Has Dave Grohl acted, or have any of them acted anything before? Oh, I don't think so. Not on music videos. And I know they have starred in a number of shows and stuff, as in performing, uh, you know, things like that. But they haven't had, this is a full-fledged feature film. Um, and it's, it looks quite funny. Like, it looks like it could be good. But Okay, well, yeah. Uh, it, it features a cameo from Lionel Richie. Okay, Lionel Richie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now uh, and uh, the uh, the next Downton Abbey movie, the date has been pushed back. Why? What's wrong? Yeah, so it's they... too much like hardcore pornography. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't really revealed why it's been pushed back, but it was due out March 18th, and now it's been pushed back to April 29th. It's called Downton Abbey: A New Era. To be honest with you, Sean, I don't really. I don't really know why they're doing another movie. It's one movie. of those things, you either like it or you don't. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I did, I really enjoyed the series. Mm. But I feel like, the, and the first movie was great, but I it wasn't as good as it could have been. Do you know that yeah. way? I was watching it and I felt like there wasn't enough drama. They could have really pushed the drama and had loads happen, but it felt like kind of a non-movie, mm. do you know that way? But look, we'll see, we'll have to wait. But won't it, like, aren't they going to reach the point that, you know, sooner or later, because they keep jumping a few years every time and then, like, we'll have Downton Abbey in space because uh, <laughs> uh, it'll actually have overtaken current yeah. events. Yeah, pretty much, I can see that happening. Yeah. Uh, someone says, uh, the, <laughs> this is in the Foo Fighters movie, uh, it's the ghost of Kurt trying to give him his self-respect back. <laughs> right. <laughs> you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We have to take a break. Uh, uh, more movies and booze after this. Movies and Booze on Moncrief Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range Lidl, 
more for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. There you go. Congratulations to Barry and Barry. Bit of a Barry love in there. Uh, the uh, We were talking about that uh, new Foo Fighters uh, movie, apparently, and Lionel Richie is guest starring in it. Uh, Mick wants to know, will he be dancing on the ceiling? It kind of fits, uh, really, given it's a spooky movie. Uh, let's talk about our second wine. And is um, uh, Fritz Wassmer uh, Spätburgunder and Spätburgunder is what the Germans in the Baden region call Pinot Noir so um, as you all have probably been sick of hearing that wine prices are going up everything's going to go up uh, Burgundy is one of the places that's going to be going up more than anywhere else because they can and because everybody wants it I mean there's one that I used to buy at 35 euros it's now 40 and that's just literally since Christmas you know mm. um, so this is just going to keep going so Germany is my recommendation for really good quality Pinot Noir that can reach Burgundian levels of, of quality and, and interest. Baden is just across the river from um, Alsace, so you're almost, uh, you're, you're, you know, that, but that's the most southern wine region in Germany, so Germany's mm. quite far north. Um, but you get um, quite interesting flavours, you'll get that classic red fruit, but also that little bit of earthiness. Um, the Germans replanted these vineyards in the 80s, most of them, so uh, there was a time when German Pinot Noir was very thin and light and not that interesting. That's changed, and I think this is a good example. This is twenty euros from Celtic Whiskey Shop. Um, and it, interesting, really? it's, 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 it's twenty that's, euros. For, yeah, you know, and it, it tastes it, more expensive. Yeah, it yeah. tastes much more like a. Yeah. Like a, you'd be getting spending forty now to get a Burgundy that yeah. tastes as good as that. And I just was thinking, what does Vasmer sound familiar? And that's because there's another wine called Martin Vasmer. So obviously Vasmer is a common name in Baden, uh, which is also good. And that's a bit more e- that's easy to find as well. And JJ O'Driscoll's in Cork, and I think O'Donovan's and um, and shops in Dublin like the Vintry and Martins. They have that's Martin Vasmer. Fritz Vasmer, as far as I know, is just in the Celtic whisky shop and maybe one or two other places. Um, but again, Schwaberunder German Pinot Noir. You know, don't be afraid of it. Look around. Um, mm. This has got a little bit of spice to it. It's much lighter in colour. Mm. I was noticing but um, yeah. but there is a nice um, and that's typical Pinot Noir it's quite a thin skinned grape um, you should all watch uh, Sideways Sideways will explain why Pinot Noir is thin skinned just like the main character um, and it, it but as a result you get lovely perfumes and so on if it's done right um, but it's difficult to grow this grape and so you, if it's grown in southern France it's jammy mm. and stuff mm. but you need a coolish region um, and so Baden being reasonably warm but also reasonably cool not like you know warm for Germany but cool for in global wine terms yeah. um, anyway there you go uh, Eamon agrees with you about uh, he says we, we stayed in a hotel in Zurich, Austria uh, who had their own vineyard uh, and they had a Pinot that was gorgeous mm-hmm. I was really surprised I really don't like the new fashion of high alcohol wines it's destroying their texture flavour and enjoyment uh, says Eamon uh, Marion also wants to know uh, have you tried the orange wine Gruner Weltner from Austria I have there's a few of them around um, there's one I know called Divald imported by Mary Paul Wines down in Kenmare and uh, I know the Vintry has it I think Good Food Store on the on Georgia Street has it. Um, yeah, so it's an orange wine. It's skin contact. So it's a white wine that's been left in the skins like a red wine. So um, the, the, the wine goes kind of orange and it's usually aged a little bit. And so they're really odd. I mean, they are tannic white wines. They are textured and complex and they don't taste like white wine as you know it. They're somewhere between red and white in terms of in terms of the way they sit in the mouth. But they can be delicious and something like a bitter salad or a strong tasting food. It can be lovely and you chill it down. And uh, yeah, mm. orange wine is really interesting. Um mm. Um, not all of them are good by the way just beware <laughs> <laughs> good warning yeah. uh, a good warning to give us right we'll uh, move on to the second uh, movie of the day it is Parallel Mothers here's a clip gosh that was surprising uh, so uh, what happens in this movie 
God, the per- Penelope Cruzness is even there in her voice, yeah. isn't it? It's so annoying. 47 yeah. and looking 47, like that. Yeah. <laughs> She's great in it. She's fantastic. I hope in an era where the likes of Parasite wins Best Picture in the Oscars that she's going to get at least a nomination uh, for Best Actress this year, Penelope, because she is super in this. Um, working with her long-term collaborator, Pedro Almodovar, um, who is just... He's just so good these days. I mean, I th- he was always camp and funny and ironic mm. and moving, and but he's become kind of melancholy in old age. And you know, this former curehead loves an old bit of melancholy. Sean, as you know, he was, uh, you know, his last film, Pain and Glory. If you haven't seen it, with Antonio Banderas, was so good. And here you've kind of got this kind of beautiful sadness again. Um, so Penelope plays Janice. She is delighted to become pregnant. Um, because she has no family, she hasn't. She's having an affair with a male acquaintance, and um, kind of exonerates him, going, "I'm having the kid, whether you like it or not, and I don't expect you know do whatever you like in terms of responsibility." She's just delighted to be a mother. Um, she goes to hospital to give birth, and she meets her roommate in hospital, who's this younger woman um, named Anna, who's played by a very good Melina Smith. I haven't seen her in anything before, but I'll be watching out for her. Um, and she, this this girl, is, you, you kind of know from the off, she's young, she's in her teens, um, she's very vulnerable, seems very damaged. There is backstory there, you know that from the off. Um, and she is frightened beyond belief at the prospect of giving birth. So Janice is kind of a very level-headed, kind of calm woman and kind of takes this younger woman under her wing. Uh, the two of them become friends. Of course, they have a remarkable bond at giving birth in the same place and in the same day. And that kind of blossoms into a friendship. Um, we learn about Anna's troubled family background. I'm being so careful in plot here. But let's just say um, the connection between the two women is radically transformed um, when Janice stumbles across. She's had suspicions about something, uh, but she stumbles across a bit of information that... M- indicates to her something huge um, involving the two women and in, in their lives. Um, and then it becomes like Almodovar has never been afraid of a bit of um, a bit of drama. But this becomes in the second hour, it's like a Spanish EastEnders Christmas special. <laughs> In a really good way. <laughs> well, that is the thing. I mean, and I th- it's. I mean, I know lots of people uh, like him over there, but he is a bit soapy. Oh, totally. And this goes there. You know, this goes yeah. there. And you, and it's just total kind of Sophie's Choice stuff. And um, and it was like you are going about half hour to go. God, did we need that twist as well? Mm. But you're so far down the story with him by then. And there's a couple of absolutely shocking. Like I. I gasped watching the film at a couple of uh, revelations and it's really moving. And he manages ultimately to knit in this. So we met, meet Penelope at the start of the film. The guy she's having an affair with is a forensic anthropologist. And uh, she, she, he's trying, she's apparently there's some sort of law in Spain whereby you can try, uh, if you've, you know, if you've good grounds uh, or, or good suspicions of where your people are, following the Spanish Civil War where where they might have been buried then you've good grounds to go looking for them and they're working on that together and then the, the very final scene in the film it knits so well into the mad supernatural thriller that's good that's apparently unrelated 
but it works so bloody well and he's a master basically the last 10 minutes of the film just blew me away um, and and managed to ground everything that had gone before in realism which is quite some feat I can tell you Uh, up there among his very best I think and I just as I say I just I'm loving his melancholy stuff at the moment I think it might be my favourite period of all his in his his filmmaking right brilliant okay okay Uh, there you go a total thumbs up uh, uh, from Esther Uh, now before we get to the uh, this Korean uh, show what happened in the Spider-Man film or what didn't happen in the Spider-Man film, Tara? Yeah, so this is really interesting. I actually read this this morning. So Sony and Marvel have Marvel, Marvel have released the full <laughs> screenplay for the new Spider-Man movie, No Way Home. Um, and at the end of the script, it reveals that a Stan Lee lookalike was supposed to make a cameo in the movie. So, you know, Stan Lee... The, appears in all of them. Yeah, yeah he yeah. appears in all of them. So they obviously wanted to continue that tradition. But it didn't happen. And the question for me now, everyone saying obviously they, they the part didn't happen but but the person they wanted to step in as a cameo is there at the end of the movie it's just that he doesn't look anything like Stan Lee so my question is did they just get a really bad Stan Lee lookalike or well, surely with digital stuff they could put, a, put Stan Lee's head on him that's basically. what I was thinking but surely they could have in some way incorporated even an old scene into the movie I don't know how it works look I don't know but maybe Stanley's family said this is a bit crass he's dead now yeah but then give us money why release the the entire screenplay and then include that at the end why would they release the screenplay anyway so it's a coming up to Oscar and award season and there's Oscar for best screenplay goes to (laughs) goes to Spider-Man No Way Home yeah yeah, that's a no. That that would be a massive work of fiction. And now, and now, people are saying this is going to be the next Squid Game, but it's not Squid Game, but it's something similar. Yeah, it's very similar. So this is um, a new Korean horror zombie series. It dropped on Netflix today. It's called All of Us Are Dead, and it's being held the next Squid Game. It stars Squid Game's Lee Yumi, um, and it's basically about a high school that becomes ground zero for a zombie virus outbreak. Uh, loads of students are trapped inside, and they have to fight their way out. It looks absolutely mental. I looked at the trailer today, and if you're into gory, you know this gory blood and guts type of thing wouldn't be for me if you liked Squid Game I think you'll like this okay there you go that's something to do with your weekend Uh, Tara, Leslie and Esther thank you all uh, very much that's our lot for today our production team today Dara Faulkner Aidan McKelvey Michael Quilligan and Simon Tierney Uh, our our winner of the uh, uh, Walking with Ghosts competition is Theresa Murray uh, from Galway Kieran's up next on News Talk we'll talk to you on Monday at 2 Movies and Booze on Moncrief brought to you by Lidl's award winning wine range Lidl more for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie.